Welcome to the Emmanuel Church Podcast, where we believe God is with us and speaks to us wherever we're at, whether at work, home, or on the move. We'd love for you to be connected with us by visiting us at myemmanuelchurch.com or any social media platform using at myemmanuelchurch. Thanks for being with us, and we hope you enjoy this message. Good afternoon, everyone. So glad to be here with you again. Uh, you can take a seat if you are here with us in person, if you are joining us online. Um, maybe you're already sitting, so you don't have to take a seat. Uh, but we are glad that you are here with us uh, today. No matter if you are in person or online, we're happy to have you here. I'm Pastor Gabe, so nice to meet you if I haven't met you before. Uh, this week uh, is what we call Holy Week, and so there's a few events going on that we talked about a little bit last week, so we have more information for you today. This Friday, we're going to be having a special uh, Good Friday service along with our Spanish service in our main sanctuary at, uh, I'm going to say 7. It might be 7.30, but so you get there on time. Uh, I'm going to say 7. Uh, but we would gla- we would like to have you with us. And then on Saturday, also here on the church grounds, we're going to be having a community outreach event, giving out Easter eggs and candy for kids and other things that will be happening here from this Saturday at a, from 11 to 2 p.m. So we would be glad to have you here during the week. Uh, um, we're also going to be getting ready and preparing for that. And so we would be glad to have any help if you would love to join us. Um, We'll let you know more details about that. So, yeah, don't forget to join us. And then Sunday, we're going to have a joint service with our Spanish service for Easter. And so we will be together with them next Sunday. So we will not be here at our 1 o'clock time. Instead, we will be with our Spanish service at 9.30 a.m. So tune in to that online if you will be uh, watching us online. And if you want to join us in person, we'll be here too. With that being said, those are the few announcements that I have. we have going on here this week. Uh, we are continuing our series today called A Place at the Table. A Place at the Table. And you've, if you've missed so far, if you just want to go back and hear last Sunday's message, you can do that. Watch it on YouTube or listen on our, our church's podcast as well. So you can just listen back if you prefer that. But today, today we are going to be in the Old Testament. Even though I know today is Palm Sunday, and this is part of Holy Week, Palm Sunday, and if you know what Palm Sunday is, if you don't know what Palm Sunday is, I'm going to tell you something. Palm Sunday dedicates an event that happened during the last week of Jesus' life here on earth, in which he entered the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Uh, that was Jesus' style, riding on a donkey. It wasn't a, a, a Mustang, it wasn't a Cadillac, it wasn't something fancy. Just a donkey. Just a donkey. Came into the city, uh, and as he was coming into the city, and this is, this is going to be relevant a little bit to our, our message today, uh, as he was coming to the city, people welcomed him with shouts of praises, and they grabbed palm leaves and spread them onto the ground along with their cloaks. They were calling out to Jesus, just as the song we sang today, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which Hosanna is a word that means save us. 
save us. And they were calling out to Jesus to be a kind of political and military savior. And they were saying, Jesus, save us from Rome. Save us from empire. Save us. Become the new king. And the story drastically plays out differently when the same crowds were welcoming him with sounds of praise and victory were later in the week shouting, crucify him. And the story is a one wild ride that Jesus goes through through the week. But through all of that, the story of Jesus still represents how he brings us to a place where we can feel at home. Where we can feel welcome. Where we can feel that we have, uh, have someone uh, to call family, people to call family. A God who loves us, people who love us and welcome us into their lives. And that is the essence of who Jesus is. You know, it, I thought about it a little bit as I was getting for this message because the name of my message today is Make Space at the Table. Make Space at the Table. And uh, thought about it and reminded me of Olive Garden. I don't know if y'all know Olive Garden. Anybody like Olive Garden? It's like, meh. You know, it's all right. Not great. I think most people think it's like, uh, like growing up, I thought Olive Garden was like a fancy Italian restaurant. That just goes to show you how I grew up, you know. I wasn't exactly affluent or anything. Olive Garden was like a fancy Italian restaurant to me. But their, their slogan is this, you know, if you've seen the commercials or if you've seen any of the, like, Olive Garden ads or anything, their slogan is, when you're here, you're family. When you're here, you're family. When you're at Olive Garden, you're family. Now, that might feel counterintuitive because when we're there, we're, we're waiting for food. Nobody's waiting on the table. Where did the wait, waiters go? Where did the waitress go? Nobody's here. Nobody's paying attention to us. Well, maybe that is like our family. That's kind of sad. But, you know, uh, regardless, we feel we're supposed to be felt like we are welcome there. That we, this is when you're here, you're family. That, that's what they're trying to get at. That's, that's the point that they're trying to make. It doesn't always feel like that. And, you know, it's not like that. Obviously, it's a restaurant chain and what they want is your money. Uh, they don't. They wouldn't really want you to stay there for hours and hours on end. At some point, that they're going to kick you out. It's like, hey, this. Re- we know we say like when you're here, your family, but this ain't your house. You got to leave. We're closing. <laughs> you know, that's not how. That's not how it is in reality. But we like that idea. Family sells. Family makes us feel comfortable. That's why there are a lot of organizations and businesses who are more interested in money than you still will tell you when you're here, it's not a team, it's not, not that we're family. But then they try to use that to manipulate you. And make you really feel like you don't want to be there, like you don't feel safe in that space. But we want that. We're all looking for that. We want to be able to have a space in our life where we can go and you feel safe, you feel welcome, you feel happy and joyful to be there. We all want that space in our lives. And see, God does make that space for us. We're going to be going to a story in the Old Testament today in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. 
And this is some time after the, the, name, uh, the man by the name of King David became king of Israel. And there was a lot of contention that was happening during that time. He, was, he, was, he wasn't really super popular at the very beginning, even though people knew him. And they just knew that the king before him was trying to kill him. And he wasn't part of the royal family or anything. And so he, he, there was a lot of contention. There were people that were not happy about him. There were people that wanted to get rid of him. There were people that wanted to kill him. There were people that wanted him out. After a period of time, though, he became the king over the entire country of Israel. And people started to like him. But see, David was in a place, though, where he, he was told when he was young that he would one day be king. But that was not something that he really ever pursued in his life. He wasn't trying to be king. He wasn't trying to overthrow the past king. He wasn't trying to do that. He wasn't trying to do that at all. In fact, the king's son, Jonathan, was like his closest companion in life. His closest companion. They they were inseparable. So much so that at one point, Jonathan made a covenant with David and told him that when it comes time that I would inherit the throne, you instead will inherit the throne because I don't want it. I want you to be king. That's how close they were. Royalty meant nothing to Jonathan. David was so important to him. And likewise, Jonathan was so important to David. Yet, there were people in David's court that got rid of a lot of the members of the royal, old royal family to solidify power because that's how politics works. They want their people in power. Uh, the story gets a little crazy. But at one point in time, we find this is the context of the story. We find David now wondering something aloud. David asks, it says, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 to 7 is where we're going to be. David asks, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So he's still thinking about Jonathan. Jonathan's gone. Saul is gone. The, the royal family's gone. He says, but isn't there anyone left that I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. And they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Mahir, son of Amil in Lodabar. So David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel, when Meshibapheth, son of Jonathan, uh, the son of Saul, came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, that's a name, <laughs> at your service, he replied. He says, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And you will always eat at my table. Father God, I ask that you speak to us today through your word, that you allow us to see what purpose there is in us and how we can grow from it today. So I love this story. 
even though Jonathan should have been in all, uh, Jonathan should have been, or uh, this man, Mephibosheth, that if you're looking for kids' names, there's one. Uh, if you're, it, it, like, it should have been an enemy of David. It should have been an enemy to his kingdom. He wouldn't want, like, it's not a smart move to think, I want to put my former uh, employer's former royalty in any position of power or authority or here in the royal palace, that could be detrimental to him. He should have been like an enemy. He should have, he should have disliked Saul's family because Saul was really trying to kill him. King Saul, the previous king, was trying to kill David, even though David didn't really do anything to him. In fact, David was his son-in-law, and he was still trying to get rid of him. It didn't make any sense. But because David had such a love for Jonathan, he said, I am going to make space in my house, in my palace, for someone that many people might think is an enemy, but I'm going to bring them here and they're going to eat at my table. They're going to eat at my table. It didn't matter to him. Any of that didn't matter to him. Because David was driven by love. David was driven by love. That's what mattered to him. That's what mattered most to him. And the story tells us a couple verses after that. It said, So Mephibosheth ate at the king's table with all of David's sons and daughters as if he was part of their family. He was made to feel welcome. I was made to feel welcome. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in the position. A lot of times, you know, when you visit someone's house for the first time, you kind of feel awkward, right? You've never been there before. It's just like, I don't know what the rules are here. Like, what am I supposed to do? Some people want you to take off your shoes. Uh, and it's like, oh, you need to take off your shoes. and you're, uh, you know. But I don't do that at home. That's weird. That's uncomfortable. Or if you do take off your shoes and they want you to keep your shoes on, that's like, ah, why am I walking around a house with my shoes on? Like, that's not normal for me. Like, it depends. It depends on culture. It depends on a lot of different things. It depends on who you're visiting. It could be a very awkward place. It could be a very awkward place. And you never know what's gonna, how, how it's going to end up. And that's, I'm assuming, how Mephibosheth felt towards David. Not only was he now in a place and in a palace that wasn't supposed to be his anymore. He was supposed to be the enemy. He felt awkward. He felt even scared to the point where David had to respond, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I didn't bring you here to get rid of you. I didn't bring you here to put you away. I didn't bring you here to punish you, anything like that. I brought you here to welcome you into my home. Brought you here to welcome me in my home. The few circumstances in my life where I've ever been to a place, to a home for the first time, to visiting someone for the first time, that I felt like I was really welcome there. I remember there was a, someone in Bible school when I went to a school in San Antonio that um, they had the same last name as me and they were a little bit older than me and they adopted me as their, their younger brother. And I was always thought that. I was like, oh, fine. Now, I've never had like an older sibling because I am the older sibling. And I was like, oh, you know, that that's cool, that's fun, you know, to, to, to play things like, oh, yeah, I have like an older sibling in this person now. But, you know, it's just all fun and games. But one time, 
they invited me to their home, and I was like, oh, this is going to be an awkward place. And their family was so loving, so welcoming to all of us that spent that day. And I, don't, I, I can't ever remember being in another home where I walked in and I felt like I was welcome there. Because you always, you always have that feeling of awkwardness in a new place, in a new setting. But when we remember, like when, we think, when I think about the story, when I think about our lives, and when I think about all the, the, the story that we're trying to, to get at here, there is a place for us in God's family, in God's play, in, in the church, in the kingdom. This is supposed to be the place where we feel welcome. Because God is driven by love. God has made space for us in His house. Jesus used that analogy a lot. He said, when I, you know, when I leave you guys, I'm going to go prepare a place in my house for you. So when you go, you have a space. I'm making space for you. I'm making space for you at the table. I'm making space for you in my home. I'm making space for you in my kingdom. He was constantly doing this kind of thing where he made people feel welcome that shouldn't have been felt welcome. Because Jesus was a teacher, a rabbi. He was supposed to be this holy man, yet he interacted with people that others didn't want him to, that he shouldn't have had. He shouldn't have been alone with. And even by modern standards, we think, oh, you know, you can't do that, Jesus. Imagine telling Jesus you can't do that. He met with a Samaritan woman at a well by himself and was talking to her. And when the disciples came back, like, hey, who is this woman? Is she bothering you? What's going on here? Jesus met and with lepers, people who had the uh, disease I've talked about, where he, he shouldn't have been near them or he could have caught it. He's like, no, I'm going to be here. And in fact, I'm going to touch him. <laughs> I'm going to heal him. I'm going to do something about the situation. He did that. He went to, uh, to eat uh, at homes of tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and people that we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't ever think to be around with. But that was Jesus. He made space for them. He made space for them in his table because what drives God is love. And we've talked about that a lot here these past couple of weeks. What drives God is love. So despite what labels you have on your life, because see, we have labels on us. Whether we imagine it or not, we've got, we've got two kinds of labels on us. We have labels that we put on ourselves. I'm not enough. I'm a failure. I'm always going to struggle with this. I'm this. I'm an addict. I'm a, I, I'm a drug. I, 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 we put all kinds of labels on ourselves. I'm a liar. I, I'm this. I'm that. No one can know. I, 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 but it, we have these labels on us. And then we have labels on us that other people put. That other people put. You know, we talked last week about Jesus. Jesus was a friend of sinners. And he ate at the tax collector's house. They said, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? See, it wasn't necessarily a sin to work with collecting taxes, but the people of those days had now equated being a tax collector with being a sinner. And so that even if you were right, if you were doing everything the right way, if you were a tax collector, you were a sinner. That, that was it. And they put labels on people. Labels on people that they didn't even know if that w- that's what fit them, but they called them that anyway. They called them a sinner. They called them a prostitute. They called them a tax collector. 
They called them the unclean. They called them people that didn't deserve to be in God's presence. They put labels on them. And the world will put labels on you, and people will put labels on you, and we put labels on ourselves, but that doesn't scare God away. That doesn't change things. Because His love covers the labels. His love replaces the labels with a new one. His love takes the label away of unworthiness and says you're worthy. His love takes away the, the, the label of addict and says you're free. His love takes away the label of sinner and says you are righteous. He takes it away. He takes it away. He does it despite sin. Because all of us have sin in our lives. All of us struggle. All of us have that battle. And it's not going away anytime soon. We will do our best, but sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we fall into that. We can be going good for a long time, but we can still make mistakes. But that doesn't bother God. That's not who He is because through Jesus, through the person of Jesus, He has wiped that away. He has made us clean. He has taken away that sin. That was the purpose of the cross, for Him to come and defeat sin and defeat death so sin doesn't bother Him. It sure bothers a lot of us on earth. I shouldn't live that way. It shouldn't be that. It shouldn't be this. It shouldn't shouldn't, 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 shouldn't. We're always shouldn't at people. You shouldn't do this. But it doesn't bother Jesus. He says, your sin doesn't bother me because I'm bigger than it. My love is bigger than it. My grace is more than it. It's more than the labels. It's more than the sin. It's more than the mistakes. It's more than anything that anyone can ever tell you. Because that's how He makes space for us. They could have told David, this man is an enemy. This man is going to take advantage of you. This man is going to do this. He's going to do that. Don't let him in your table. And you know what was funny? They were right. In another part of the story, when one of King David's son rebels, Mephibosheth tries to take advantage of the situation and grab power for himself. And he ends up losing his life in the process. And after that was all said and done and the situation was revolved and and David found out about what happened, he didn't curse him. He didn't say anything against him. He said, you know what? Everything that was his is now his servant's Zebas. I'm still going to make this right. Someone that was connected to Jonathan is still going to receive something good. It still didn't bother him. And that's crazy. It didn't matter that it might have happened. And it doesn't matter to God either. He still makes space for us. He welcomes us at the table. He says, you got a place here. Just like my son, just like my daughter, you are part of this family. You're here. And you're here with them. And see, that's what we've been called to do too. To make space for others. If God has made space for us, then our lot in life is to make space for others. I know 
it's hard though. It, it, it's it's weird because we want to be some kind of right. And that's what a lot of religion and religion in America will tell us. We have we have to be some kind of right. And so that means somehow, some way, shutting out some people. But that wasn't Jesus. I said last week one of my favorite quotes from Rachel Held Evans was the gospel is offensive to people not because of who it excludes but because of who it lets in. And I want to remind us of those words again because that is what we've been called to do. Through, through our actions, how then do we make room for people? We've got to make room for people in our lives who do not know Jesus in their lives. That's how it's counterintuitive. I, I was always told growing up, you know, who, 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 do you, who you have around you matters. That is true. There is a lot of wisdom and truth about uh, the inner circle that you have in your life. Who do you have speaking to your life? Who do you have giving advice to you? And who do you have, like, supporting you? The closest people in your life should be people whom uh, you admire or who are further in your walk and your faith in the, in the faith than you. People that can speak into your life. People that can keep you accountable. You need people that are going to call you out when you make a mistake. But you also need people that are going to give you grace in that mistake. You need those people that are going to be good for you in your life. You need those circles. You need that circle. But the problem is, is that we often take that to mean that anybody then who is not a follower of Jesus, who is not a Christian, then has no place in our life. We've got to think about this question. Like, I used to be asked this question all the time, and it, it threw me. It threw me, because I couldn't answer it. I grew up being told in the church, you need to tell your friends about Jesus. You need to tell your friends about Jesus. And then they would ask me, who do you know? Who are your close friends in your life that don't know Jesus? And I'm like, everybody knows Jesus. Why? Because I was also told I can't make space for people who don't know Jesus in my life. They don't have a place there. Well, see, that's problematic because then how are we supposed to be tell people about Jesus who don't know Jesus if we don't know nobody that doesn't know Jesus? Wow, that was a mouthful. I don't even know if I said that right. Let me say again, slower. How are we supposed to tell people about Jesus if we don't know anyone in our lives that doesn't know Jesus? How are we going to do that? That question always threw me. Who, who in your life doesn't know Jesus? I'm like, I don't even know. Like all of my closest friends, like they told me to do, Go to church. How do we make space at the table? We have room for people who do not know Jesus. That doesn't mean that they're the ones that have the final authority and the wisdom and whatever to speak into your life, the good positive energy that you need people. Sometimes sometimes maybe they have good advice to offer you and things about life and whatever, but the point is we have to make room for people that don't know Jesus. How are we ever going to show love to people if we're not doing that? If our circles are so close that everybody around us looks like us, talks like us, knows Jesus, then we're missing something. We're doing something wrong. We're doing something wrong. 
another action that we must take in order to make space for people in the church, in this place, is standing up for justice. Standing against abuse. Standing against racism. Against white supremacy. Against things that would keep people out. Sometimes we don't even realize how much of that is in us. Sometimes we don't even realize that. Because we don't realize how entrenched it's been in our upbringing. The slight little things that we think, oh, you know, that's not racist, that's just a joke. Oh, that's not this or that. But the thing is, is that it's part, it becomes part of our mentality. And what we need to do is first take a look inside and work on ourselves. Do we find hints of those things in our life? Do we, do we make tolerance for injustice in our lives? Do, or do we participate in injustice in our lives without even realizing it? We make space for people by working on the inside so that we are as loving as Jesus was. Because Jesus welcomed all people. Didn't matter race or whatever or anything, gender, nothing. He welcomed all people. One story that is funniest to me is that there was a story where Jesus was eating with the disciples. And it says a woman comes up to him and it's a Syrophoenician woman. Someone that wasn't Jewish. Someone that was a Gentile. And she's coming to him and she's, he's saying, I, I need you to heal. I need you to heal my daughter. I need you to heal my daughter. And Jesus does something that sounds like really insensitive. But part of it is I believe he was playing into how his disciples really felt. He says that I've come to save only the people of, uh, of Israel. What's, you know, I've come to do this only to the people of Israel. And she says, and she keeps asking, she keeps asking, and Jesus responds. He says, how can a master take the food meant for his children and give it to the dogs? And she says, even the dog get the crumbs. And the funniest thing about this story is I think the disciples, ended, they said nothing in this story. Which means that whatever was Jesus was talking about in that moment, calling, basically calling this woman a dog, they agreed. That the Jewish people thought that they were better than them. The people, that, that was their mentality. We thought we were better because we were the chosen people of God. But then Jesus commends her faith and he says, you know what, you have great faith. And it doesn't matter that you're not who I came to heal before or whatever. I'm here and I'm making space for you and I'm giving you the miracle that you're asking for. He made space at his table. Despite injustice, he fought injustice. He fought the rich. He fought the powerful. He fought the empire. He fought the people that would stand for the things that oppressed and pushed down people. And he says, I stand for justice. And so not only on the inside do we need to fight for justice and changing the way we think and changing the way we see things, but we need to help those who also don't have a voice. Elevate voices who have more to say than I can say about things. 
elevate voices that know what the fight is, that know what, what, what we need to stand for, to be in those places where we support in any way we can. And through the church, be like, that is what Jesus came for, to stand for justice so that all people can have a place at his table. Everybody can have a place at the table. And by being a safe space for people who are not welcome in the church. Third thing. There are a lot of people who have been hurt by church, burned by church, burnt out by church, abused by church, manipulated. And they have said that I am not welcome in these spaces. But we can be that space. We can be that space. We can welcome them. No questions asked. Not worried about their background. And we do that by, some th- by, by not just doing that here. By not just being that safe space here. But being that safe space outside of these doors. Outside of these walls by walking how Jesus would be, loving like Jesus would love everywhere we go. Because church, worship, all of that, that doesn't just happen here. It happens when you're at home eating with your family and you're extending love. That happens when you're shopping and you're loving on the people that are around you. That can mean putting your shopping cart back where it goes. And being polite and helping someone. Doing what you can. When they mistake you for a worker. You work here. No. I don't. I can help you. Extending your hand to the homeless. Who need food. Who need money. Who need help. Being that love wherever you are at and wherever you go. That's how we make a safe space for people. But what we have to be careful for as I close here today. Jesus came into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, closing with the Palm Sunday rest. And they wanted a Jesus that fit their description. They wanted a military king. They wanted a political king. They wanted someone who would do what they wanted him to do. Who would support the things they wanted him to support. The ones that would hate what they wanted, they, they hated. They wanted that Jesus. But Jesus walked in there not as a king, riding on a donkey, humble, and said, what I've, what I've come to do today What I've come to do this week is make space at the table. I'm about to tear down the barriers. I'm about to break the power of sin. I'm about to break the power of death. I'm about to open the floodgates so that all people can know who God is and that they are loved by God. No more barriers. That's the Jesus we, we, we need to follow. We cannot make the mistake of painting a picture of Jesus that we want to follow just because he likes the things we like and hates the things we hate. 
Because Jesus is radical enough to love the things that even we hate. Love the people that we might consider our enemies. That is who Jesus is. So as we go through our week, this, this holy week, the most holy thing that you can do is make space for people. When you encounter someone that is hurting, make space for them to mourn, to hurt, to weep with them. When you encounter someone that is struggling, stand there in solidarity with them and say, I, don't, I may not know your struggle, but I'm here. When you encounter someone who, who doesn't feel loved, love them. When someone that needs help, help them. Don't, don't let your prejudices get in the way. Don't If I give money to them, they're just going to do this. Give them what they need. Help them with what they need. Look out for those that are the least of these. Jesus said when you visit those in prison, when you give water to those who are thirsty, when you give clothes to those who are naked, feed those who are hungry, guess what? You've done that to me. Because you could see my face in every single person in this world. And that's what I've come to do. Make a space for everybody. Would you stand with me this afternoon? That's my challenge this week. Love someone this week. Love someone who you may not have wanted to love. Step out of your comfort zone. Do something a little bit different. Make space at the table. Father God, we thank you for your word today. I pray that you open our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, that you would work inside of us, that you would help us do the hard work, the hard work of change, so that we can be in love like you. And help us to see opportunity to love others this way. Help us to see opportunity to let people know who you are and that they are loved. Help us to make space in the table of our lives for the people who need you the most. today in the song of worship. If you need prayer today, just lift up your hand. Let us know how we can pray for you. If you're watching online, let us know in the comments how we can pray for you today. Let's go into the presence of God in this moment. We hope you've enjoyed this message. We'd love to hear your story about how you've been blessed by this ministry or how we can pray for you. To connect with us, you can email us at amen at myemmanuelchurch.com. And if you would like to support us financially, you can give online at myemmanuelchurch.com slash give. Also, if you're in the area, we'd love to see you in person for the full worship experience. Thanks again, and we hope you have a blessed week.